0: Hey there, Smodcast supporters and listeners, it's your old pal Fat Kev Smith. Uh, Guess what, man? Uh, It's that season. We're done making movies. We've made some movies back-to-back, so now we're hitting the road with some shows. That's right, man. A Smodco show is heading your way, and I'm here to give you some dates for that before we dive into this week's new episode of whatever podcast you're about to listen to of the 96 that I record daily. February 27th, Hollywood Babylon with Ralph Garman. Uh, at the Improv on Melrose, February 28th. Jay and Silent Bob get old and a, a Evening with Kevin Smith Q&A at the Ice House in Pasadena. That's two separate events. Tickets for all of these things are available at csmod.com. Uh, March 13th, Babble at the Improv again in Melrose. March 14th, there's a Evening with Kevin Smith Q&A and a Jay and Silent Bob get old in Tempe, Arizona at the Tempe Improv. Uh, March 27th, uh, once again, uh, we're back at the Improv on Melrose, but we're doing Jane, and Silent Bob Get Old at the Improv this time. March 28th, we're doing EduMication, me and Andy McElfish, uh, at the Ice House in Pasadena. On April 4th, we're doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old in Ontario, California, at the Ontario Improv. Uh, on April 11th, we're doing Jane, and Silent Bob Get Old and a QA and a at the Brea Improv. Uh, April 17th, I'm doing Why Bry with Brian Johnson um, and doing an Evening with Kevin Smith QA at the Fort Lauderdale Improv. Uh, April 18th, doing Why Bry and Evening with Kevin Smith at the uh, Palm Beach Improv in Florida. And then April 19th, we're doing Why Bry in Orlando. That's when I go see my mom. Anyway, there's a bunch of shows if you're in those neck of the woods Vancouver, Seattle, Hollywood, Pasadena. Arizona, Tempe, Arizona, uh, Ontario, California, Brea, California, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, or Orlando, Florida. Come see a Smodco show. Tickets, as always, available at csmod.com. And now, a free Co podcast for your ear pussy.
1: News reviews, commentary—not commentary. just another podcast. Uh, I'm the ordinary the big ball, ball broadcast. broadcast? Insert random
2: joke here. Now here comes your host Kyle, Kyle Abert of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Bald Abroad cast Hello, hello, hello from the West Coast. This is Kyle Abert. I'm an anime and video game voice actor, and your co-host of the
1: East Coast, Otherworld Steve. And I was the original voice of Snake Eyes in the original GI
2: Joe series. Really? That must have been a really challenging role. It was so
1: difficult. I think that's how I destroyed my voice. It was so much strained voicing that character.
2: Exactly. That kind of reminds me of my favorite album growing up, Marcel Marceau, live in concert. It was amazing.
1: I have to get that, like, high def and get my best cans out and listen to that.
2: <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. So, uh,. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, we talk geek stuff here. Of course, you're listening to Smodco Internet Radio and Smodcast.com. It's Geeks 24-7 here, so it's really nothing different per se, but a couple other dorks that you probably have never heard of. But we're here, and uh, we're happy to discuss awesome things like uh, Marvel movies and tech and video games and all that shit. And um, speaking of video games, before I came home to do this uh recording here. Um I stopped by my local Best Buy to pick up Dragon Ball Xenoverse on PS4 and um obviously since I said I just got it I have not played it yet so I can't speak to whether it's good or not or you know just the same old same old again. Um I was a little bummed to realize that after I got my copy, that it's not the day one edition. And the day one edition has some exclusive skins and all that stuff. The packaging looks different and everything. I went back into the store after I noticed that the packaging was different. And they said, well, let's look at the SKU number. You know, the little thing that every thing that you buy in a store has. Kind of like a UPC code and whatnot. But it's a uh, product identification code. So we looked it up. And the only thing they had in their system was the same one that they gave me. So... Maybe they don't have any day one editions there, but it's in the system. It's called the day one edition available on PS4 and Xbox one, but mine is not that. So I guess if I want those skins, I guess I have to pay for them, huh? DLC.
1: DLC. I have to go to Best Buy someday this week. uh, As our listeners are listening to this today is also the release date for big hero six on DVD and Blu-ray. So I need to hit a Best Buy. I need to pick up both, um, dragon ball xenoverse and big hero six
2: yeah yeah the uh they had some exclusive packaging at best buy and it sold out within the first hour i was hearing some people went in and they were looking for that you know they always do the lenticular covers or the the collectible tin. you want the one that i raised a big stink about i stood in line for and didn't end up getting with guardians of the galaxy and ended up just paying twice as much on ebay i'm an idiot but I guess you're not going to care. You just want a copy of the movie and you'll be fine, right? It's for your kids.
1: You know, for most most people, um, it goes on your shelf. and When it's on your shelf, all you see is the spine. So I really don't give a shit about how special the cover might be or the lenticular or the chromium cover or whatever. It, it, what matters is what's on the disc. And I don't think there's much difference between the, the packaging and the content. So, no, I'm, I'm certainly content with the standard version. And you get to save a few bucks in the process, too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And as far as the thoughts on Big Hero 6, and like, yeah, there's some cute moments, beautiful animation. The story's just meh. I don't know. I mean, it, it may connect to a, a kid audience way more than, than me. And I, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm starting to sound like you, Steve. I'm all, I'm just all cynical and stuff. It's like, I, I'm expecting more, damn it. I, I'm expecting another Wreck-It Ralph, but, um.
1: I was going to say, you know, everything's better when you're high. So I think you're missing that component
2: there. I, I you, you know, you're right. I mean, you're not going to get uh mickey mouse agreeing with you on this but uh, i imagine anything animated especially in 3d and under the influence of the wacky tabacky might uh, uh, make anything far more enjoyable
1: any listeners from alaska please uh, reach out to us twitter at bbbroadcast.com or gmail the big ball broadcast at gmail.com i was reading this morning twitter uh, twitter <laughs> alaska is the most current state in the country that fully legalized marijuana to grow and consume at your will without any uh, ramifications or repercussions.
2: Oh, nice. I'm actually going to be in Denver where Colorado is infamous for its uh, legalization across the board of just a marijuana. And I got a friend, a good friend from my radio days that lives there. And I said, what's it like? Since people can just smoke it openly. I said, dude, everywhere is you smell it everywhere. (laughs) And, uh, <laughs> so just
1: keep in mind when you're at that con, it's not that you're particularly funny.
2: Right. Yeah. I'm, oh, God, my ego is going to be through the roof. And we to be like, man, I am hysterical. I should do stand up because everyone's just pointing and laughing and they're in tears. They're on the floor. And then everyone's hungry after the panel.
1: I was going to say, I'm wondering what type of. Uh, Banking this is for the concession stands and the local fast food joints.
2: <laughs> it's probably a nice boon, you know, kind of like that girl last year that made a fortune with the Girl Scout cookie. She set up right next to the medical marijuana dispensary.
1: Brilliant, that is pure brilliance. You're gonna see the uh, the annual cookie sales spreadsheet come out and Alaska and Colorado are all gonna be at the <laughs> tops of the charts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so we're doing our live audio stream here on Mixler, M-I-X-L-R dot com slash Kyle a which is my name, spelled H-E-B-E-R-T. We record the show and live audio stream it on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, if you want to hear us as we record the show and we can get some live interaction and, and, and feedback. Big shout outs to the folks who are in our chat room right now. Uh, pretty beaches. Which is right or wrong, my girlfriend. That's her that's her pen name, by the way. Um Pretty Beaches refers to her new podcast, actually, that she streams live on Mixler, which is her and her daughters just talking about random shit. So shout out to the Pretty Beaches podcast. Uh Alan Harris Siegel, Hero Zero Zero Four, Lewis Sawyer, and uh whatever is telling us that there's five people elsewhere who I guess aren't logged in. They must just be listening. So uh we appreciate you guys chiming in. And all that uh looks like big hero four, big hero four, it's like hero zero zero four, said big hero six, won the Oscar. now, what do you think about that? So the Oscars happened recently, um Disney, of course, takes it, right, you I mean, whether you think it deserves it or not, I and they just you know it's just slam dunk, of course, right?
1: Well, the part I don't get, and we've been talking about this since time immemorial, um the, the Academy is always so down on superhero films. Uh We're never going to see Avengers win best picture or Spider-Man or X-Men or anything of that ilk. I get to say I'm genuinely shocked because in the end it is you know, kind of a superhero film by Marvel. So I guess you can say a superhero film won an Academy Award.
2: Yeah, but you know who really got the shaft and there's always films that do. It's a Lego movie. I mean, to me, I thought I thought it was a superior film all across the board. Uh, and Alan S. in our chat says, yeah, Lego movie didn't even get nominated. That's blasphemy. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> but they did have a number, apparently. See, I don't have cable, so I wasn't watching uh, the thing. But I was watching people tweet about it. And they said, oh, yeah, they have this this big Lego musical number and everything. It's just kind of awkward and everything. It's like, all right, so at least they worked the Legos into it. So they kind of acknowledge it. But it's still kind of a, a slam in the face that those guys didn't get anything
1: Now, from what I had read a while back, and I don't work for the Academy, or I'm not a member, so I can't validate it. But I guess the whole thing comes down to that that ending segment where it segued into live action. And uh, they're saying that's what disqualifies it from being considered an animated film.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Some other things I heard about the Oscars thing is um, Lady Gaga blew everyone away with her Sound of Music tribute um, which is why I pontificate that anyone who goes out of their way to, to get marketed as this weird kind of Marilyn Manson shock value entertainer. And then it comes out that, oh, she can actually sing. She's really talented. had she come out and just done that from the beginning, she would have disappeared into nothingness, right? She had to do something. And the people in the music industry that, 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 that manufacture these people across the assembly lines, like this pop group and this, that, and the other, you know, no, Fergie, you're not going to be a rock singer. Like you want to be, we're going to stick you in the black eyed peas. Like, "Oh, oh, Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I guess it's true. You know, she came into her own and knocked it out of the park. I wonder if we'll see a more subdued Gaga going forward.
2: Well, yeah, now she's touring with Tony Bennett and, you know, she's doing what people just are really, really blown away. It's like her last album, Art Pop, just just kind of just fizzled. It's like, all right, she can't really shock anyone anymore. No one cares. So now, you know, because she had that fame under her belt and the power and and everything to do what she really wanted to do. So, hey, mad props to that. And everyone's just like, oh, my God, she can sing. All right. Maybe she's not as annoying anymore. You know, whatever. Um, Neil Patrick Harris, people love him. You know, and he hosted this year, but apparently a lot of his jokes just fell flat. And you're going to have that no matter what. And on these, these four hour ceremonies, they just go on and on and on. Everyone's fucking falling asleep. Uh, award speeches that go way on too long and everything. Um, you know, I I hearken back to when David Letterman did it because back in the day, David Letterman still had that energy. He still gave a shit, and he was funny. But people shit all over that too. There's always going to be someone that shits all over everything, especially in award ceremonies where it's basically about Hollywood kind of giving each other blowjobs.
1: And that's why I can't watch it. It's it's ego stroking. I do kind of feel a little bad for Michael Keaton. I guess he thought. um he was going to get best actor. And when they were doing the announcements, he was getting ready to stand up and he had pulled a speech out from his pocket and they didn't call his name. And you can see the clip and there's a uh, animated uh, segments of it all over the internet today of him sitting back down kind of sheepishly and putting his uh, speech back in his pocket. So that was kind of an a-, a sad note to go out on.
2: Ah, oh, that sucks. I mean, the movie got props and then the director got some, uh, <laughs> You know, Sean Penn made the joke about oh, how to how, how get his green card, you know, this off color remark about it. Um, and then of course, now everyone's watching Birdman who didn't before and they're shitting all over. It's like, what? What's the big deal about this movie? Ah, it's just actors stroking actors. It's like, which is kind of the point if, if you watch it, but, um, yeah. I don't know, man. It's crazy. Let's back up to something you said earlier about how, how we talked about how the superhero films aren't really acknowledged in that filmmaker James Gunn, who directed Guardians of the Galaxy this past year. And that film was, of course, kind of overlooked in the usual segments. Were they even up for best special effects or any sort of technical awards or makeup or anything?
1: I honestly couldn't tell you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they were, they didn't win. So, <laughs> but, but he went on record this past week. Uh, talking about how, you know, basically Hollywood has always turned a blind eye towards science fiction, fantasy, and all that. I mean, I can think of one time when that didn't happen. What was the third Lord of the Rings? Was the Return of the King that actually got Best Picture that year?
1: Yeah, which uh, is, is fantasy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's fantasy it doesn't count. Yeah, but I mean, it's still a geek title, whether, whether you're into it or not. I mean, there's plenty of people that are. It's like, well, it's something because you know we go back to nineteen seventy-seven, Annie Hall, that the uh, you know classic comedy from Woody Allen. That's what what took it. When of course everyone wanted Star Wars, of course, but you know here we are. So you make these big films, and James Gunn goes on record by saying, you know, it's really really sad how people. Uh, uh kind of turn their nose up at superhero films as the, as saying these filmmakers don't give a shit. You know, they do they don't care half as much. They don't pour their hearts and souls into these, you know, big blockbusters and everything. And, and only like, you have to be an indie filmmaker. It has to be a small budget and, and small cast to be considered uh, as having any sort of integrity and all that. And, you know, that's sadly been the case, but I mean, if you, if you look at award shows, In that sort of cynical, jaded view of award shows anyway, maybe it shouldn't matter. I
1: think the Academy voting needs to go the way of the dinosaur. I think these films should be acknowledged by their box office receipts. I mean, that, I think, is what the real... Uh, standard is for whether or not a film was a success. You don't get a gold or platinum album because somebody voted for you to receive it. That's based on your album sales. So if you have tremendous sales, obviously it's something the public enjoyed. So take the critics out of the equation and, and go genuinely by the box office results.
2: Yeah. We had a clarification from Herb Claudier in our, in our chat room it says guardians of the galaxy was nominated for special effects. At least it was nominated for that. And then Interstellar, of course, took it, which is that's I guess that's kind of predictable. Um Hero Zero Zero Four says I was watching Aliens, looked it up. Sounds like and uh Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Best Actress for that film. I, I remember that. I was so pulling for that. And I think who got that that year was Jodie Foster for The Accused back in 86. And I thought for sure, man, that would be something to have Best Actress for a genre film like that. That would have been really, really something.
1: But on a side note, The Accused that's based on an actual case that happened right here in my hometown so just little nugget of knowledge there
2: oh wow really yeah
1: that was the uh, the big dan's rape case um a stones throw from, from where i reside so yeah
2: holy crap okay well i mean what what's your take on on hollywood's view about this this whole thing i mean should they even should they even bother? I mean, there are award shows that are purely genre specific, but it seems like the only clout, the ones that have clout, ones that people care about, are the Oscars, and to a, a distant second degree, Golden Globes.
1: It kind of reminds me in a sense of the first year the uh, the Grammys had the heavy metal category and everybody thought for sure that Metallica was going to win and that didn't end up being the case.
2: Yay, hey, Jethro so. Tull. Jethro
1: Tull, which <laughs> I grew up on Tull and I really don't have anything against Jethro Tull, but it's not metal and I don't think it should have won a, a Grammy for best metal act. Um I don't know. Maybe they need to add that genre and Maybe you need a uh, comic slash sci-fi category, and that's the only way they're going to win awards, apparently. Um, but I'm sure almost everybody in the Academy went out and saw these films and enjoyed it, munching in their bucket of popcorn. I, I still don't get it.
2: Yeah. Alan S. in the chat says superhero films as a blanket genre isn't really true since all the superhero movies are in vastly different genres. Like Captain America First Avenger is a World War II movie. Winter Soldier is a spy thriller. Guardians of the Galaxy is a space opera. I mean, yeah, I mean, everything needs a a name and a soundbite just so we can say things quickly and people know what you're talking about. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, you could argue all of that. I mean, I could, I could sit here and say, well, Avengers is and, and Iron Man are, are like comedies with action thrown in it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and DC movies are just boring and pathetic and
2: entertaining. <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> oh, man. But uh, other other superhero news. So we got the Avengers Age of Ultron coming up. And, of course, you know, Civil War all that stuff. Ant-Man gets his own movie, but why isn't he making an appearance in the Avengers? I mean, I guess he could at this point and, and maybe it's just under lock and key and no one's talking, but uh, is there a logistical reason why we're not seeing every possible uh, crossover here?
1: There is. And believe it or not, it kind of makes sense to me, I guess. Um, Joss Whedon explained in Empire magazine and his quote is, of all the heat I've ever taken, not having Hank Pym is one of the, is one of the bigger things. But the fact of the matter was, Edgar had his film first, and by virtue, what Edgar was doing, there was no way for me to use, uh, use him in this. I also thought it was too big a br- uh, to bridge for. Ultron needs to be the brainchild of the Avengers. And in the world of the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Tony Stark is that guy. Banner has elements of that guy. We don't really think of him as being as irresponsible as Tony Stark, but the motherfucker tested gamma radiation on himself. And that was really terrible. Way worse than Tony Stark results. It didn't make sense to introduce a third scientist, a third time a third scientist to do that. It was hard for me because I grew up with the comics to dump that. But at the end of the day, it's more, it's a more interesting relationship between Tony and Ultron. If Tony was the one, like, you know what would really be a great idea? They're doing that, and they're doing what they always do, which is jump in head first and then go, oh, sorry, world. But you have to make it their responsibility without just making it their fault. Now, that's his quote with his explanation, and i got to say I kind of dig that because it sounds to me if you brought Ant-Man in just to do the origin of Ultron, it may feel a little shoehorned and I kind of like taking that setup of those characters that have been established in the Avengers and then making it their problem. So I kind of got to applaud Joss Beaton here because I do dig that explanation.
2: Okay. So yeah, see like cinematically, this happens all the time you have to for the convenience and, and just the way that films work versus, and it's just a different medium. You know, you're you're catering to an audience that are mostly oblivious to comic books, not that they're judging it. And it's like, or oh, they just don't have time. They just don't read it. There's many, many people that love Marvel movies that will never open a comic book. It's just a fact. But if they if they make these changes to make things seem more elegant and make more sense in the broader scope, then, you know, I'm all for that. I don't get personally offended when they when they make changes like this.
1: What people need to keep in mind, and myself too, you know, I, I'm a fanboy, and sometimes when they go to these comic movies, they get a little pissed off. Like there's nothing like the story I grew up with. But I have to remind myself and the fan base at large that a company like Marvel only ten percent of their annual revenue has anything to do with comic book sales. Everything else is movies and associated merchandise. So what that tells me is ninety percent of the audience hasn't read through the comic books so yeah for them it's a no-brainer to say we're basically introducing this to fresh eyes all over the world so we're going to kind of do it our way and honestly you can't fit 50 years of history into a two-hour movie so you got to do what you got to do
2: yeah uh i have to acknowledge here uh lewis sawyer in the chat room says kyle swear to god if you don't mention the new dbz live action episode i'm going to find you and sure you can you okay so uh, two fan films came online the same day. Uh, the first one, Dragon Ball Z: Light of Hope. Have you seen this, Steve?
1: I have not. This is all news to me right now, so I'm sitting here with bated breath.
2: Oh, okay, all right. Well, maybe you should you should go to my Twitter because I tweeted it earlier. Maybe we should tweet it on the Big Ball Broadcast at BB Broadcast, or you guys can tweet it amongst yourselves. But anyway, um, uh, Derek uh, Padula. Uh, tweeted at me, it's like, light of hope has arrived. So I clicked on it and I, I know some people that worked on it as well. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. I mean, the power of fans, uh, doing this all on their own dime with, you know, it's a labor of love. And obviously, because it is a copyright thing, you know, they can't make money off of it. So, um, that's how you know it's it, it truly is a, a labor of love. I, I hearken back to something almost a decade ago. I remember a Batman dead end with, um, oh God, Walter Koenig's uh, son who uh, sadly killed himself, but he played the Joker in there. And then you had, you know, all these great makeup effects, people that worked on Predator and Aliens actually show up with a real suit of Aliens and Predator fighting Batman. You know, only in a fan film would you see something of that caliber. Uh, but to see something come along now. Um, uh, that totally just blows away Dragon Ball evolution. And granted, it's, it's easy. I could take a shit and it will blow away Dragon Ball evolution. But for something that takes, no, you know what? The Dragon Ball property is very sacred to us and we want to see something done right. And we're going to show you what we can do without the power of Hollywood behind us. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty interesting to, 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 to check that out. So some, some impressive visuals and all that. So check it out. Just, just Google Dragon Ball Z. Light of Hope. And uh, then the other one, I know you did see because we talked about it before we uh, started recording. So the Power Rangers short, which um, is is uh, dark and gritty and nudity, profanity, everything that the Power Rangers isn't. So it's like, you know, Michael Bay meets Quentin Tarantino <laughs> meets all of this stuff. And you have genre people in there, uh, Katie Sackhoff, most notably, who we know from the the BSG reboot and then James Vanderbeek um it's like okay that's out of nowhere but it had some really really impressive visual CG fight choreography and it's it's very much not for kids um i, I was pretty impressed again because it is it is a fan film but it, but it looked like it had this uh it looks like they spent some 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 bucks on it
1: they did they spent some coin on that now i have to be honest here i was scrolling through the uh Whatever site I saw that on, and I saw the headline, and I was like, eh, meh. I'm not a, not the biggest Power Ranger fan. I read the description, and when I saw the word nudity, I said, all right, I can kill 15 minutes. I got to watch this. So, <laughs> yay boobies! Came for the boobies, stayed for the carnage.
2: <laughs> and there is a lot of carnage in there. There's a lot of blood flying, and fight choreography, you know, uh, cool camera moves, uh, stuff that looks like. You know, some of the shots reminded me like, oh, is this a Halo commercial? Is this a uh, Destiny? Is this, uh, you know?
1: From the go, it, it so looked Halo, and I thought it was going to be a little more rigid in that genre, and it was good to see it get away from that pretty quickly. I did particularly enjoy the, um, the fight with the Black Ranger against the, the team of uh, Asians. I thought that was pretty badass.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, this short film is directed by music video veteran Joseph Kahn who's worked with Taylor Swift and Britney Spears and, and all that. Uh, and and uh, apparently there is no connection to the live action feature film being developed currently at Lionsgate. So I guess this is not what is eventually going to be hitting the big screen. Uh, and if I were a big bean counter at a major studio, I guess, you know, yeah. Why, why fix it? If it ain't broke power Rangers is one of the most lucrative franchises of, you know, this century, and, you know, are you really going to change the formula that much and change it from kid-friendly to something just dark, gritty uh, genre fans would, would only like?
1: Yeah, you can't take a title like this and give it a hard R. It just it wouldn't get the anticipated box office results. Yeah.
2: Uh, Brandon Royal uh, says Power Rangers is more for kids, but it's okay for uh, adults to have something like it. But remember, it is for kids still. Um, he was asked to do it, but turned it down. Uh he's saying about the director, it's like, oh, interesting. I don't know why you would turn down a feature film opportunity like that, but I guess, you know, uh he he probably put out there, it's like if I had my dithers, I could just do it like this. And I know Hollywood would never say yes to anything like this, but there's going to be a select audience who probably grew up or at least are aware of Power Rangers, and they're going to go, oh, I kind of like this version. It's got boobs and, and violence and and things that I like, but you know, you're not going to show it to your kids going, no, 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 this is not the power Rangers. You need to watch boobs. It's all about the boobs, <laughs> major boobies. i my Uh, what else we got to talk about here tonight?
1: We got lots to talk about. I'll, I'll throw this out real quick. I was scrolling. I was looking for the actual article. I can't find it. So I'm going to make it up. So if something doesn't sound right at BB broadcast on Twitter, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, if, if you can recall this yourself. Did Danny Elfman do the soundtrack for Sam Raimi Spider-Man films?
2: Um, Danny Elfman. I want to say yes. Okay.
1: The, uh, the final theatrical poster for The Avengers was released today in anticipation of its uh, May release. And now we get to see the full credits of all the cast and crew on the bottom of the poster. And I guess one of the very late additions was... Danny Elfman on the bottom of the poster so there's some speculation so of course take this with a humongous grain of salt but there's some speculation that maybe Marvel did find a way to shoehorn Spider-Man into Age of Ultron maybe even briefly and it would be nice to have that little musical sting from Danny Elfman to kind of give you that acknowledgement like "Ooh, remember this from the Raimi days so I don't know. want to throw that out there a little bit of rumor and gossip
2: wouldn't that just be the ultimate stinger? You know how all Marvel movies have that thing stay after the credits? There's always a one two punch. There's always the thing that goes, oh, and then you stay after the credits, like, whoa, I can't believe they did that. You know, I can
1: that- imagine this incredibly <laughs> brief scene kind of like a la Guardians of the Galaxy, just of like, in the rubble of the carnage in the, in the aftermath of Spider-Man just swinging overhead and then boom, fade to black.
2: <laughs> Remember on the, uh, at least on the extras of the first X-Men movie, they had Spider-Man just run across the stage and <laughs> across the set. And the whole X-Men is just looking at him laughing and everything. It's like, okay, I don't think that was, I think that was just, just, you know, fucking around on the set and all that, but it was pretty funny to see. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, we have a clarification on the chat room that Brandon Royal says he was not talking about the director on the uh, the Power Rangers. He was talking about Jason David Frank, I guess, was offered to be involved in the live action Power Rangers reboot. Or unless he's talking about the short. I don't know. But for whatever reason, um, I guess we won't see Power Rangers in their Power Rangers roles. So take that as you will, uh, Power Rangers fans. Uh, let's see. Uh, Hero Zero Zero Four. Colin, Steve, the latest buzz is that Marvel Sony's leading towards Miles Morales as Spidey instead of Peter Parker for the MCU. Would you guys like that? Um, so Miles Morales, I haven't read any of that that newer incarnation of Spidey. He's a black Hispanic teen. Uh, Sony has got on record by saying, "Yeah, we're going to cast a younger Spider Man." And they've already tossed out some young actors' names, but those guys are white. And now people are, 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 are coming back saying the word on the grapevine is, no, they don't want a white Spider-Man. And so people would say, oh, if they don't want that, then they're obviously going to do Miles Morales. I'm of the ilk that Peter Parker is the legendary character. I think we should stick with that. I don't think we should necessarily cater to... You know, let's make it a politically correct agenda. It's like, yes, we should have diversification in our superhero genre. And these heroes were created at a time where, yeah, or they're all white male, this, that, and the other. And they're created in a different time. So, you know, instead of having things like, let's make Thor female, why don't we create new female characters? Why don't we create new um African-American or Hispanic characters? I don't think changing it uh, uh something like that necessarily works and it's not because it it has to do with the color of their skin or that's like no i mean it's just that's just a legendary thing let's just i just i'm not really on board with that i would rather see it stick with peter parker
1: well let me first start by asking you a question and that is what's your take on samuel jackson as nick fury
2: um i didn't read enough of the marvel stuff to even know who nick fury was other than oh it's a marvel character and then you see uh in the live action world, they had like David Hasselhoff was the first live action portrayal. And then you think, OK, well, something's got to be better than David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I'm OK with that. I mean, didn't they didn't Marvel actually go back and retcon Nick Fury to be African-American because of his involvement with the cinematic universe?
1: Well, it's kind of a funny story, but to back up just a little bit. What we're seeing a lot on screen with Marvel Cinematic Universe is from their ultimate comic book line, where they do take some liberties from the stories you're very familiar with. So in the regular Marvel Universe, for quite some time, you, you did. You had a white um, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury. And in the Ultimate Universe, they decided to go with a black Nick Fury. Now, the black Nick Fury from what I understand, um, looked incredibly similar to Samuel Jackson. And the story that he's told, and I don't know if it's tongue-in-cheek or if it's actually legitimate, was he approached Marvel and said, you're basically stealing my likeness for this character, and the only way to rectify this without it turning into a legal issue is if you ever do anything live action, I need to portray this character. So that's how he explains how he got involved in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
2: Um. So again, I was saying that that I hadn't read the Miles Morales stuff, but I guess in the Spidey world, I don't read Spider Man either. But um, is in the that Ultimate
1: the- Universe, that that is the Spider Man.
2: So they kill Peter Parker, right? You know
1: what? I haven't read it, and I kind of know only about it peripherally. I I don't know if Peter Parker exists in that universe, but they did go with this young Hispanic uh, iteration of Spider-Man. Now, when I mentioned that a couple weeks ago, the the – response that i got was well fuck you otherworld steve you don't know what you're talking about and now all of a sudden a couple of weeks later ooh, uh, miles morales might be the next spider-man <laughs> fuck <laughs> all you people <laughs> <laughs> steve right because i was down with that a couple of weeks ago glad you all came around to my way of thinking
2: otherworld uh, steve is uh, we're giving the hipster award <laughs> you know you are on this case you you get to gloat and go see motherfuckers i told you you know <laughs> if they, if, they, if they go this route it's like okay, that puts a different spin. If they killed Peter Parker, you know, they're not erasing it, saying Peter Parker didn't exist. It's like, all right, Peter Parker's gone, but someone needs to pick up the moniker. I'm okay with that. I mean, that's okay, but I would rather see at least Peter Parker show up first.
1: And- I agree with you wholeheartedly. If if you're gonna introduce diverse characters, uh, a different sex, a different race. Yeah, create that as a new character. Let, let that be a character that can really come into its own. I don't want to see you replacing existing characters with a, a sex swap or, or a race swap. That it kind of cheapens the effect. I wasn't too taken aback when, oh, Thor's a, a woman now. To me it just sounds like pandering in a um a little promotional thing to get some buzz. Um I'm I'm I gotta say I'm kinda of down for it. If they want to go that route, of course, you can argue what is the movie-going audience more used to. After five Spider-Man films, yeah, you're used to Peter Parker, the the white Spider-Man. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with, with, with my old- Miles Morales' introduction, as I've said numerous, numerous, numerous times, leave the fucking mask on, and nobody really cares. Superheroes shouldn't be taking their mask off at every opportunity.
2: (laughs) That's always bugged me, and you know, I I, I totally dug the Sam Raimi movies, and I totally would have been on board had they made Spider-Man 4 that way, and not done the Andrew Garfield stuff. Nothing against the guy, you know, he's a really good actor and all, but, you know, to me, that, that original cast and crew were right, but it did always bug me. It's like, oh, we have to take the mask off, and I'm sure that's not a Sam Raimi move I'm sure that's a Sony thing I feel sorry for Sam because you know Sony made those calls about you know Spider-Man 3 and all that it's like let's put all these guys in let's put Venom in there and Sam's like I don't want to do that that's this is really too much and of course it ended up you know, yeah, it made money, but, you know, it made money because people were 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 hooked and excited. You know, as it's, it's great as Spider-Man 2, it's like the Empire Strikes Back of Spider-Man. And then it just totally loses all steam and goes in the wrong direction and just crashes and burns. But I think part of the problem, again, even with three and even with the good Spider-Man movies, is they keep taking their fucking mask off so you can watch their face. And it's like, what are they so afraid of? We know who's under the mask. We've been watching for, you know, three quarters of the movie. You're going to see them in regular daytime clothing.
1: Again, if somebody's in the biz, feel free to clarify my statement. But <clears throat> I think it has something to do with the um, the Screen Actors Guild. I think it has to do something with having to have a certain amount of face time because in mask, it could be anybody. It could be a stuntman. It could be a double. You, you don't know who's portraying the character. So I think, and again, if anybody can clarify, certainly clarify, but I, I do think it's, it's one of the guild rules about how much screen time your face has.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Cinemagic is still all that. That kind of reminded me of like this past week. I did a voice match gig for a major studio, for a major film, for an actor I've never heard of. But you know, to that movie going audience, you don't hear. Those big celebs, a hundred percent of the time on those movies and TV shows, they a lot, a lot of times the, the those small little quips and responses and and fight sounds and whatnot, they're voice actors that are voice matching those big celebrities, but they don't really necessarily get a credit as such. And how would you credit that? They're not going to say "voice match by so and so." They usually put additional voices or ADR, automated dialogue replacement, and they'll list you know either the uh, the casting agency just to save time or they'll bother individually crediting actors and all that. So that's like, Oh yeah. The big mystery. It's like, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that about the screen actors guild and some weird rule about, um, and maybe you guys can tweet at us and confirm or deny that. Is there something in contracts union contracts that, that say that, yeah, you have your feature, your face has to be on screen to prove it's you. Um, Cause I know studios are all about saving money. You know, they, they got plenty of uh stunt, Work that are that not the character, you know, the main character in James Cameron's Avatar, I uh, Sam uh, Worthington, I guess, um, was doubled by Reuben Langdon, who voices Ken on Street Fighter, but he's a motion capture artist and he makes a bulk of his income doing motion capture and stunt work. And so, you know, probably for a good chunk of Avatar, anything involving stunts and a lot of physicality, that's Reuben Langdon. But you would never know that.
1: There was some controversy a, a few years ago, where, <clears throat> excuse me, edit. <clears throat> there were there were some female actresses in some certain films that had uh, nudity in it, but of course, uh, if it was a more modest actress, they'd have a a double do the the butt shot or the boob shot or whatever. And I guess what happened was the doubles weren't being cr- uh, credited in the uh, in the credits. So the public just automatically assume, assumed, well, that actress did a nude, nude scene. And I don't know if that was to kind of keep the mystique there, to, to not destroy that illusion of fantasy. But some actresses kind of get up in arms after the fact, like, no, no, that was a body double, that wasn't me. And, and then, of course, the public's response is, well, I don't see a credit for a body double for that scene, so that must have been you. So.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at my list of uh, show prep. News tidbits here. Anybody remember Reboot? Classic 90s CG animated series. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that remember that. Um, I remember it. I didn't watch a lot of it, but I thought it was pretty cool and cutting edge for the time. Uh, It looks like that series is one step closer to getting its sequel. Uh, Rainmaker Entertainment, which developed the original show through its mainframe division, released a logo and title this week for the reboot of Reboot, called Reboot the Guardian Code. It looks like the sequel series was first announced back in 2008 and it's been radio silence until now. So at least now there's something a little bit closer to that happening. Um, again, I, I, I'm not close enough to the series to, to be excited one way or another, other than to know that it's got a fan base. What, uh, what do you, th- what's your take on it?
1: I love the irony in the name. (laughs) I mean, of course, the name pre-existed, but Reboot. i was so fucking used to this
0: nowadays.
1: (laughs) I watched some of it when when it originally aired. I I can't say it was uh, in my top five, but I did watch some of it. Frankly, I'm not too interested in a reboot of Reboot.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people would say that Tron Legacy was a reboot, but what in fact was a sequel. But it looks like a reboot because you know it doesn't look like the 1980s tron it looks like a completely reenvisioned world but it is a direct sequel so and thank god it doesn't look like the 1980s well.
0: <laughs>
1: it doesn't hold up that wasn't uh for the most part cg a, a lot of uh things you see the sets and the costumes they're wearing there's like a, a luminous type of paint that's on the costumes and it catches a certain light and, and it was filmed in a certain way. So yeah, thank God it doesn't look like that.
2: Alan S in our uh, chat room says, um, all I remember is the late great Tony J as Megabyte on the reboot series. Tony J, great voice actor. Uh, he was um, the bad guy in Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame and just a killer voice actor on, on tons of uh, cartoons through the years. And just like, I could listen to this guy narrate the phone book and just like, wow the uh, it could melt butter.
1: You know, you've talked about the guardians of the galaxy animated series, and you're talking about great voice actors. Let's meld these two together and talk about the great voice actors that are going to be in Marvel's guardians of the galaxy animated series.
2: I am not going to be on there. Not that I'm saying I'm a great voice actor, but I for one am jealous as hell in the nicest way possible because these people are super talented. I'm just super envious because it's such a cool project to be a part of.
1: So the announcers we have to date, um, let's see. We have Vanessa Marshall as Gamora. Yeah. James Arnold Taylor as Yondu and Cosmo. Uh, You have Will. Who's
2: this Will guy? Oh, Friedel. 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 He was Batman Beyond.
1: Oh, there you go. As Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. David Sobolov as Drax the Destroyer. Kevin Michael Richardson as Groot and Trevor Duvall as Rocket Raccoon.
2: Nice. Yeah. And uh this cast did come together first on Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So it looks like this is going to be kind of a spin-off, even though it's kind of a, a slightly different animation style. Um I guess there's no news as to a release date, but it will be on Disney XD in the in the US. Uh and hopefully I'll get to be a part of it. Damn it
1: kind of ironic that vanessa marshall she uh was black widow on the avengers earth mightiest hero so kind of nice to see her stick around with that and she's uh, we Mary talk- jane
2: watson too on one of the spider-man cartoons yes
1: absolutely um james arnold taylor uh as the leader on hulk and the agents of smash and harry osborne in the spectacular spider-man plus a number of characters that go marvel superheroes which i absolutely adore um and barry allen in young justice so very, very uh credible cast, I can I guess you can say. Um before we started recording, I was kinda gushing about how much I love James Arnold Taylor. Um my my homosexual fantasy three way is me, James Arnold Taylor, and Justin Cook from Funimation, but that's a story <laughs> for another day.
2: <laughs> Alan S. in our chat rooms going, Kyle is Thanos. Kyle is Thanos. Hey, I'll take it. I'll be, I'll be uh random alien B. I don't care. I got to start somewhere, man. Um, I have worked for the Marvel's, uh, animated universe before. I was Super Scroll in the first Avengers cartoon. Um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, I guess, is the, is that the original series or the current one?
1: No, I can't even keep track of it. Oh,
2: know. crap. I was Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Uh, crap. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. I was Super Scroll on. So the current one that is running on Disney XD, I am not a part of that cast. If there's Super Scroll in that, um, I feel even sadder because I wasn't asked to come back. But um, I've done different stuff through the years for Marvel and and Disney. So hopefully, I'll at least have a chance to audition. Avengers Assemble. Thank you, Hero Zero Zero. Yes, Zero Zero Four uh avengers assemble is where the current uh guardians of the galaxy cast could be heard actually last weekend they aired the new episode Uh, but i'm sure it's on the various apps online it's accessible
1: on demand on cable for me
2: (laughs) yeah yeah on demand on cable for you exactly exactly what other fun stuff do we have here um you know, Netflix, they're not really good about um, announcing what's coming up and going away. You have to rely on other websites. Uh, so I look, it's like, well, what's coming in March? Not a lot to attract the geek in all of us. There's a lot of shit that's going away. So you may want to start scrolling through your Netflix queue right now if you live in the U.S. anyway. I understand that Canada has a very restrictive, uh, shittier version of Netflix. So a lot of these titles probably aren't on there. But um a lot of the classic 90s animated stuff from Cartoon Network is, is going away. So try and marathon that shit. Uh, I'm a new fan of Archer. Archer Season 5 will be available to view on March 7th, uh, March 11th, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Those are basically the two that kind of stood out out of the, the massive list of things coming to Netflix. Um, I keep on forgetting to look at the new release tab, to even look, because you know having a video store on demand like that is a bit daunting and overwhelming.
1: It could be, I would imagine. And, of course, you're talking to the least qualified person to comment because I'm not a Netflix subscriber. Ah, fair enough. Uh- I, I, I found more uh, illicit ways, shall we say, to find my television programming on my computer. Um, but one thing that is coming to Netflix, I don't know if you were holding your breath for this or not, but there's a new Pee Wee movie coming out.
2: Oh, my God. Really? Say that
1: without laughing. Um, yeah, apparently Pee Wee's Big Holiday has found its uh, big release on Netflix. It goes into production beginning in uh, March. And the synopsis is, in Pee-wee's Big Holiday, a fateful meeting with a mysterious stranger inspires Pee-wee Herman to take his first ever holiday in this epic story of friendship and destiny. <laughs> wow. Let, let, let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> uh, uh, this is from Judd Appletoe, so... Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Were you a fan of the first two films?
2: I was, uh, I didn't see the, the big top Peewee one. I only saw the first one and I enjoyed it enough. I mean, that's where Tim Burton started and there, there were some good things in there. I didn't watch the Saturday morning show. I'm not the biggest Peewee Herman fan. I know he's like a big cult favorite. He disappears. He comes back and go kind of like weird. Al. he just disappears into obscurity and then shows back up again. And people are like, Oh my God, he's back. Um, so I'm sure there's an audience for it. Um, Before he
1: broke really big, I remember seeing the special. I believe it was on HBO, the the stage special. And uh, I saw it as a kid, and it was one of those things where, you know, under the cover of dark when mom and dad are in bed. Because it was graphic. It was was lewd. (laughs) (laughs) He had shoe mirrors, and he's looking at girl skirts and stuff. And I kind of dug that. And then I was kind of soured when the uh, Saturday morning show came out, and it was so tame. But I did – Watch the share out of that! I, I do remember watching the share out of that. I, I did watch both movies. Um, I just thought it was weird to take something that was at one time really big. I mean, Pee-wee Herman was a phenomenon in American culture, and uh, to see it kind of relegated to Netflix, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much that speaks to the property and and what their return on investment for this is anticipated to be.
2: But you know what it. It's, it's kind of an interesting statement. You say relegated to Netflix. Netflix is like a fledgling up and coming network in its own right, just like Amazon. Uh, these shows are getting critical and rave reviews, tons of streams and everything. It's like, it's, it's, it's catching the eye of all the other networks in, in the way content is created and everything you know when when shows that we like get canceled we think well why can't it just go over there like with me constantine it needs to resurrect on sci-fi because nbc owns that um you know maybe well, firefly man it's dead you know fox killed it let's 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 resurrect it on netflix or something you know somebody who has you know the clout to go ahead and do that and if you have yet to see a genre show uh, come that way. Cause I'm sure sci-fi, all the CG and effects and the practicality of the budgets and everything, probably not so much there. But, you know, the Marvel is dipping their toes into Netflix and that's acceptable because, hey, it's Marvel. They made a ton of money in the, in the cinematic realm. Um, they're going to cross over into TV in the near future. But for now, the internet, because that is the future. That's where everyone is at.
1: I totally get what you're saying, but. All the examples you used, they're episodic. This is more like a a feature film that is only going to be released through Netflix. I'm just thinking you're probably not going to get the type of take that you would from a box office release.
2: Uh, No, no. I mean, if they did the hard numbers, I don't know how much, (laughs) you know, one person streaming your show. How does that turn into advertising revenue? Because there is no advertising. I mean, they're, they're all over Hulu. But Netflix, you know, you pay the monthly thing. You pay a little bit more for HD. You pay a little bit, a little bit more for 4K content if you want to. Um, but yeah, it's I I'm not really sure. You know, maybe maybe that's where they're justifying uh, the cost of these shows and considering them, you know, uh, something worth investing in.
1: Yeah, because I can't see a hundred million, a two hundred million dollar take. From this being on netflix and i guess my concern going into this is well what type of budget are you working with with the understanding this is going straight to netflix is it kind of like one of those directed dvd movies where you're really going to cut as many corners as possible I- i'm kind of tending to think that's going to be the case
2: yeah yeah let's um let's see here i want to talk about um smartwatch pebble time I'm a I'm a Pebble owner. I have the first iteration of Pebble. I have Pebble Steel, and now they announced the the morning of the recording of this podcast Pebble Time. Uh, it's the fastest funded project in Kickstarter history. It raised a million dollars in less than an hour. The previous record holder was Reaper Miniature Bones, which raised a million in two hours and forty two minutes. And uh, so they've raised you know within a day a million and a half. Uh, for the production of these smartwatches and, and pebble kind of kick-started pardon the pun the whole smartwatch market and now you have apple uh dropping their smartwatch uh in april at this point and uh pebble is going to drop their latest watch which is a color version up to this point it has been um an uh a black and white one this one has a color um e-ink screen with a seven-day battery um but this one is scheduled to ship in may. So really interesting to see how much how how much is going to hold its own uh with with something way more uh advanced and expensive too. Uh your base price on these pebble watches are around
1: $200. Now, please do me a public service and explain to me what the appeal is for a smartwatch. Why should I go out and buy a smartwatch?
2: Okay. So you've got your phone, right? Everyone's a slave to their phone. Everyone's taking out their phone and walking down the street and running into traffic and, and running into light poles and causing accidents and not paying attention to their family and friends and coworkers and and, and whatnot in front of them. Right? So imagine if you put your damn phone up, put it in your pocket, but you can still like check your watch to, to, to check for that incoming email or that stock price or a notification from someone like maybe I should take out my phone oh my, my my wrist is buzzing or it doesn't have to buzz it can make a noise or not make a noise it could just simply light up letting you know that hey someone's trying to get a hold of you there's something that you program this watch to notify you about it doesn't have to be an alarm it could be a notification from Facebook Twitter and whatnot so you're learning to kind of Pry your hands off and not be as much of a slave to your phone or tablet as so many people are now, and you can get more done.
1: So what I'm hearing is if you're engaging in a conversation with a family member or a coworker. You're less of a dick for staring at your watch <laughs> than staring yeah. at your phone.
2: Yeah, you're less of a dick. Now, if you sit there just futzing with your smartwatch the whole time, then that kind of defeats the purpose. So, I would I would monitor how many things you you tell your smartwatch to tell you about.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I I have Gmail on my phone. I have an Android phone. Um, when I get an email, I have it set to vibrate in my pocket, so I know I have an email, so I can pull my phone out and look at it. If I get a phone call, hey, guess what? My phone vibrates, so I can pull it out of my pocket and get the call. I, I don't see the need for a two hundred dollar accessory to let me know that my uh, my phone's vibrating.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, and 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 the, and the utility of it all really depends on you know how, how you set your smartphone. If you know, now now my myself. I have everything on silent. I don't want my, my phone would vibrate constantly and the battery would be dead in an hour. If I had it on vibrate, cause it would vibrate through everything. I get so many notifications and this, that, and the other that, that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to filter all that through the watch either. Cause that's going to kill that battery too. So my phone is not on vibrate except for phone calls. Um, but I don't need to look at the, uh, my watch to see who's calling. You know, if I'm in a session, I'm not going to have my phone out necessarily unless it's just taking a long time. And everyone, if you see the engineer and the director in the voiceover session between takes while they're trying to queue up footage and, and talk to the client on Skype or something, it's like, okay, well, I guess it's okay to check Facebook right now. But other than that, you know, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to see what time it is. Oh, look, my phone lit up with the time. And now there's his pop-up screen going, you got an email from your agent and you have a voiceover audition that's, that's due, uh, in two hours. I'm like, oh. Crap, all right, so I don't look like a dick, taking my phone out, looking like I don't give a shit about my job when all I'm trying to balance all this important stuff.
1: Well, I mean, I don't think you look like a dick. I think you look like the rest of the civilized world. We all look like dicks. We all look like dicks.
2: (laughs) We're all the biggest dicks on the planet, man. Why do lawyers wear ties?
1: To keep the foreskin from rolling up over their head.
2: Oh, that's good. That's good. I like it. We're all dicks. <laughs> Every last one of them. Oh shit. We're coming towards the end of the show, Steve. You know, it's amazing because
1: I'm looking at I still have numerous tabs open and I'm trying to prioritize. What do we need to get out in
2: this show? Yeah, what's what's really important? What is that last-minute tidbit that's gonna make people go, oh my god, I'm so glad I'm still listening to the big ball broadcast at BB Broadcast on Twitter.
1: I'm having a hard time juggling this one here. <laughs> uh. Alright, there are some things I can see we can save for next episode because we can get pretty lengthy on them. Uh, I'll, I'll throw this out as a really quick, quick hit. The, uh, the first season of Star Wars Rebels is coming to a close. And in the season finale trailer, there is a tease that Darth Vader will again be making an appearance. So, uh, That comes out, I believe, Monday, I want to say, the the first Monday in March, 9 p.m. on Disney XD. If you're a Vader fan, check that out. Um, What I do want to mention, because this officially launches today, um, now again for our listeners, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, February 24th, so it may not be today when you're listening to it, but Sony Computer Entertainment of America has announced a new initiative called PlayStation Heroes. And what this it does is it can, connects gamers with entertainment, sports, and gaming celebrities on their PlayStation 4, all while helping the world's great causes. Through uh, PlayStation Heroes, PS4 users can purchase digital content via an official PlayStation Heroes app to be entered for a chance to play, or play with or against celebrities online via PlayStation Network and, uh, and possibly in person with at least 90% of the purchase price going to a specific participating charity. Now, they've announced uh, four of the celebrities already. Two of those are names you might be familiar with, and one is Snoop Dogg, and the other is Sean White. So if you're a Snoop Dogg or a Sean White fan, um, how this works is there are, there's this app available with themes, and, and I guess they're available from anywhere from a dollar to $15 each, and each dollar spent enters you into the sweepstakes, for PlayStation Heroes. And uh, again, you get to play with or against one of these celebrities they have in their roster. And all the, uh, the proceeds go to either the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the USO, or the V Foundation for Cancer Research. So I just wanted to acknowledge Sony. I, I think that's beautiful. I think anytime you're helping out the community and people in need, it, it is, uh, certainly something worthy of mention.
2: That is badass. I think that that's so cool. I get on the convention circuit. I you know I do anime and video game voiceover. I travel the world, go to these pop culture conventions. People say, "Hey, can I play you on Xbox Live or or the PSN or whatnot?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, it's not really cool for me to just give out my user tag, you know, my um, gamer tag name to everyone because then I'd just be you know I'd just be inundated and swamped with with friend requests and whatnot. This is like a new way. Like if they come up with dummy accounts through the charity initiative to to have Snoop Dogg play for that one time and whatnot. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. And people could, you know, uh, sa- save people, do some good work for the community and have some game time with uh, people they look up to.
1: I'm assuming whoever you're playing with or against is going to have their headset on and you have that opportunity to have some dialogue while you're playing. It, it's, it's totally win-win. And when I see them uh, um, touting 90% of this money they take in um, that, that's pretty impressive. Now, on top of this, um, Sony is also going to be donating $100,000 to each organization to kick off the initiative. So, again, um, I, I really feel this is worthy of mention because, um, as I mentioned last episode, I, I am a straight-up humanitarian, and, and it's just great to know I'm in wonderful company.
2: That is badass. Can't wait to see, uh, where that goes and what sorts of, uh, celebs talent, uh, end up being connected with this sort of thing. I, I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna take off. That's the next Kickstarter. Yeah. You
1: know, I'm thinking right now, maybe, uh, the voice acting community should do something similar and, uh, <laughs> find a way to pull their talents, uh, because, uh, you guys are definitely recognizable. You have an audience. Why not kind of pull that celebrity and do some good?
2: To a, yeah, I mean, to a lesser degree, but yeah, there's still, there's still fans out there. Maybe in the Smodco world, get the Smodco people to do some sort of charity gaming event. I know that, you know, Jason Muse is a big gamer. He's a big Call of Duty guy. You know, if we had a bunch of gamers play against him and, you know, they're donating money to a great cause and playing with, you know, Jay and Silent Bob, that'd be pretty badass. But, um, yeah, yeah. So um we're going to uh pull the curtains on this fine episode of the Big Ball broadcast. Shout outs to Pretty Beaches, Alan Harris Siegel, Hero004, Brandon Royal, Nick P, Herb Claudier, Wesley Marshall, who actually portrays in that uh, uh Dragon Ball Z fan film that I alluded to earlier. Uh what was it called? What was it called? Quick, somebody mention it. Uh Light of Hope. Dragon Ball Z Light of Hope. He actually plays a capsule core scientist uh in that and he's a, a fellow up and coming voice actor uh and also thanks to nathan pratt and robert jackson the fourth and uh, other people tuning in elsewhere to our live audio stream uh we're gonna do it again next time folks so until then this is kyle bear and this is Underworld steve see ya special thanks to will wilkins and jason Peer. Music provided by iShine, Perimeter of the Void, and Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter, at BB Broadcast, and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. SoundCloud wants to make it easier for you to get all of your favorite Smodco podcasts at home or on the go. Get the SoundCloud app today, and you can follow and get your podcast on with your computer or smartphone. Guess what else? The podcasts are on SoundCloud before anywhere else. Go to the Google Play or Apple App Store and get your free app and SoundCloud account today. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir... Only at smodcast.com.